On today's episode of the Mystery Kids podcast, is there $93 million worth of gold and silver in Central Virginia? Let's find out. Welcome to your patron bonus episode. So grateful to have you here. I appreciate it. And today we've got a doozy of an episode. So this episode, a lot of it is coming from Northern, Northern Virginia Magazine.com. I mean, I have the resources in um, the link in the show notes. Just giving you a heads up because this is a very good story but there's a lot to it. So I want to make sure most of it is completely accurate. So I'm going to tell you all about the story. So the legend of Thomas Jefferson Beale, who is rumored to have buried $93 million worth of gold and silver in now central Virginia's wine country 200 years ago, has led many treasure hunters on a wild chase over the past two centuries. Now, is this real or not? They're going to find out and tell us all about it. Let's go look for this treasure. If we begin at the beginning, we have to go 200 years in the past, but instead let's go three and a half hours-ish south in the present to start this adventure. Early on a late summer day, the green hills of Bedford County in central Virginia are ridiculously verdant, lush with a blur of leaves and needles from the hardwood and pine forests that cover the gently blue, gently viewed Blue Ridge Mountains. Soon those leaves will turn crimson and gold and tourists from far and wide, far away as Canada, then will come down and make the drive to see this autumn splendor. Now, after checking into our rooms at the Days Inn in Bedford, Mason Goad and the article writer, find their way up the twisty mountain roads to a 220-acre winery called Peaks of Otter for our first appointment of the day, where we're met with Danny Johnson, who's probably the most quoted witness that the legend that drives a bit of the economy in this neck of the woods. And it's not the brightly colored wine he sells that keeps things parking. Johnson, he's about 81, knows a bit about the tangled tale of Thomas Jefferson Beale and his family, who have been here since the 1700s. Although he's the go-to person for any media outlet covering the Beale legend, he's not a cheerleader or a salesman. He just states what he knows and he tells it how it is. He's been suspicious about Beale for 50 years, but he can be trusted because he's been here since the 1700s. Not him personally, his family. That accounts for something when the subject at hand is worth about $93 million. You just have to find it if it's even there. Now, the first deposit consisted of 1,014 pounds of gold and 3,812 pounds of silver, and it was deposited in November 1819. The second deposit was made in December 1821, and it consisted of 1,907 pounds of gold and 1,288 pounds of silver, also jewels, which were obtained in the St. Louis in exchange for silver to save transportation, and it was valued about $13,000. So in 1885, J.B. Ward published a substantial and anonymously written pamphlet called The Beale Papers. It contained authentic statements regarding the treasure buried in 1819 and 1821 near Bufords in Bedford County, Virginia, which has never been recovered. 
I just would like to say if I had a lot of money, I would not be burying it. So I want to know how to get this much money that I'm like, ooh, it seems like a responsible idea to now bury it. Okay, that's, that's one of my goals now. So here's the deal. We figured this out. This is kind of like, there's this pamphlet that's written about the papers. And so if there is, there's a substantial amount of gold to be found there. So it's a subscribe. it describes how Thomas Beale, returning from a successful mining exploration of the region around Santa Fe, and then a part of Mexico, he got really paranoid, and he buried a treasure in Virginia with a value as of gold and silver prices in September 2020. So... In other words, September 2020, it's now worth way more than it is since it's been three years. But it was valued in September 2020 of $93 million plus an unknown quantity of jewels. Beale left a locked box with an innkeeper, Robert Morris, at Buford's Tavern in Montville, adjacent to Bedford, with orders to keep it for 10 years. And now you can open it if I don't come back. Well, Beale never came back and Morris opened the box 23 years later and discovered notes and three sheets of hundreds of seemingly random numbers. They were ciphers. With the right key, that is the document the ciphers are constructed on, anyone can translate the ciphers, locate the treasures, dig it up, and in accordance with modern Virginia law, keep it for themselves, even if it's on private property. So the ward documented included the author's breakthrough on page two of the sheets. He or she managed to use the Declaration of Independence to break the code and learn the contents, not the location, that's on page one of the cipher, but page three lists names and residences of who should receive the treasure. What? So they, they literally use the Declaration of Independence? Wow, this is like... Oh, what's that one movie? It's going to come up. We just barely watched it. It's, it's a hold on. Nicholas, Nicholas Cage in National Treasure. Super great movie. Anyways, I was like, this is literally like a whole, maybe he was Nicholas Cage. Okay. So how do people take this as a legend? Um, this is crazy. So Johnson says, dad said people talked to him about it. The first time I think I heard about the treasure was in the 1950s. Now, over the past six decades, he's seen helicopters, backhoes, dynamite, some of it was donated to him, and interlopers by dozens of trespassers, camps, blow up, dig, leave broken, brokenhearted. Families have been shattered by the pursuit of the treasure. Fortunes have been lost. In 1983, Pennsylvanian Marilyn Parsons spent her disability check to rent a backhoe to dig up a church graveyard. She was arrested and told by a judge to never step foot in Virginia again. That's, <laughs> that's great. So everyone who thinks they know where it is, they are just positive that they know exactly where it is and they won't give up. Mason Goad later tells me that this phenomenon of being absolutely sure is called a cognitive bias. It's when nothing will change your mind, and he knows about it. Goad, he was a 22-year-old Georgia native now living in Arlington and pursuing a master's in international security at the George Mason's University, is an amateur treasure hunter. It's a pretty serious hobby. Lately, he's invested gear to help him search for treasure underwater. Now, it's a hobby that's even sent him to the Colorado's Rocky Mountain in search for the famed Forest Fen treasure. 
Ooh, I don't know what that one is. We are going to have to add that to our list. Goad was absolutely positive he knew where it was based on the reading of the clues. Now, the treasure was found in June in Wyoming by someone else. And he, you blame it on the excursion west on cognitive bias. But if someone has overlooked the Beale treasure clue, Goad may have picked up on it. And the rest will be history. Johnson says that lately he's been getting letters from a correspondent in England who has figured things out and suggests that the treasure is on top of the mountain up there. He says, pointing to the peak across the hollow near a small graveyard near a church. So before we depart, Johnson gives us a sheaf of paper with possible cipher translations. We thank him and then head to the graveyard near the church at the top of the mountain. While I drive, Goad reads the allegedly transcribed page one from the gent in England. Now the first sentence says, look to Odie's place, two miles, look east to the cemetery atop Goose Ways. After traveling for miles along country lanes and gravel roads, we reach Cool Springs Church on a mountaintop with a small graveyard. The headstones are ancient and on many of them, you can't read the names that are read that are on top of the gravestones anymore. We looked around the breathtaking scenery and shrug our shoulders. As we turned to head back to our car, I glanced down at an in-ground stone. Hey, Mason, take a look. The name on the white stone was Odie. Isn't that the North Fork Goose Creek across the valley? Cognitive bias is starting to take hold. We leave the peak and head to the Bedford Museum and the Genealogical Library to meet with Jennifer Thompson, a genealogical librarian and education director. Now, this gorgeous Victorian brick building is on the corner of downtown Bedford House. Just about everything that's ever been published about Beale and Morris, Ward, and the rest, she brings out all these boxes, box after box, file after file, magazines, correspondence relating to the legend. While Goad pours over the papers and clippings, Thomason, a California transplant who's been in the museum for 13 years, gives me a tour of the multi-level institution while discussing the Beale phenomenon. Now, Thompson's noticed over time that there are three types of Beale fans. Ones who want the money, ones who wants to solve the mystery, and ones who want to know if it's true. I like those ones the best, he says. I'm a history nerd. Does she take a lot of phone calls about the treasure? Occasionally, she said, the more annoying ones are the ones that say, I solved it. I'm like, oh, if you solved it, go ahead and alert the media. Now, a document in the archives of no less than the National Security Agency in Fort Meade, Maryland, was sent to William F. Friedman, who lived in the North George Mason Drive in Arlington. Now, it's titled The Beale Cipher as a Bamboozlement. This is a good indication of what this huge study was. Now, Perry, he actually looks at all of the evidence and he goes, this is a lie. <laughs> this is all just a joke. He was an American cryptologist considered to be a great one and an expert at the time. Now, even the greatest cryptologist of all time banged his head on Beale. So as far as my attempts can produce an authentic reading is concerned, I can most earnestly say I've tried to the best of my ability and now must confess myself beaten. So he couldn't get past the cipher. So even Friedman says he couldn't avoid the cognitive bias. He said, on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I think it's totally real. And then on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I think it's a hoax. 
So maybe just everyone's on the wrong note. Maybe there isn't anything. Maybe there is something. It's so interesting because Beale said the key. And so since the Declaration of Independence was used to decode page two, it seems like it's the key for all the other things. So they're trying to figure out what the code is and figure out what is happening here. So Jenny Kyle, she is a researcher, a game enthusiast, and she's the author of a book called Introduction to Codes and Ciphers, plus 20 famous, famous unsolved codes, ciphers, and mysterious writings. Wow, I didn't know that this was like a whole thing. I guess that would make sense. But Jenny's explored the graveyards of Bedford several times, and she has tried to look around in a four-mile radius to see if there's anything that could catch her eye. So there might be a message that's on a worn tombstone. And she said, I used treasure hunting as a way to go different places and learn about history. We didn't find a clue, but we enjoyed our time. I think that would be really fun to go on like a historic trip with the kind of intent to try to solve a mystery. So she says, I'm not sure if it leads to a physical treasure or a spiritual one, she says. Maybe a Mason, she's a rare female Freemason herself, wrote the Morris Papers to inspire a quest for truth. Maybe some of the coded ciphers would lead to something more spiritual in nature. So it's a great idea. It's a great thought. Maybe it is. So in, in 2018, Lucas Riley, he was a senior editor at the media outlet called Mental Floss. His 7,000 word exhumation of exhaustive comprehension is as exhaustive and comprehensive as it gets. So he talks about, he said, I heard the story when I was in third grade in Pennsylvania. The teacher gave the class the second veal cipher and a copy of the Declaration of Independence and told us to figure it out. It's hard to imagine a room full of third graders working on ciphers that even the National Security Agency and other code breakers have never solved. He says, I realized later she wasn't giving us busy work. It was the old thing about million monkeys hitting a typewriter and writing Shakespeare. So more people you put on it, you got to find one that's going to figure it out. <laughs> so years later, he was living in Williamsburg um, with his wife and she was a musician. She re or they recalled the story and thought it would be a nice, fun, quick article to write and then he got sunk down the wormhole. I was trying to figure out what's real, what's verifiable. The one thing I know definitely that is real is that people are looking into it. They get so wrapped up in it, it will change their entire lives. They lose their money, their marriages crumble. I actually think that's the story here. The people, not so much the treasure ciphers. It's how this quest captures people and that became my focus. I remember I had an epiphany that I couldn't make the story up, whether it was about the stuff or if it was real or not. It drags you down into a pool of historical quicksand. I just wanted to know the truth and you end up pulling more strands and getting even more tangled. Now, eventually he had to stop the research. He had to write the story and publish it. Now, what does he think? His personal opinion is that it's not real. There's just too many faulty lines. I don't think there's a tra treasure here. It might say something like, I'm open to the idea there's a coded message, but there's not a treasure. So in early September, things start to take an interesting turn. Danny Johnson received an email 
We can't say from who, but it says, please see attached file, Sir Danny. And what followed was a few cryptic pieces of advice enhanced by the apparent English as a second language writing. Protect this hill with all your might and power. Find the Twin Oaks on the mountainside. Castleton Johnson deserves recognition for this. Castleton Johnson. Now that got Danny's attention. That's his great, great, great grandfather. Now he fought in World War, in the War of 1812, and it all fits in in this timeline. So he says, I do believe Captain Castle Johnson is Thomas J. Beale. And I think he deserves recognition for what he did. He definitely changed the life of many people during this time. Now, there is a translated cipher of page one, which suggests that Beale was an alias and that Castleton divided the treasure and gave it to the locals, including the Native Americans who lived in the area at the time. Now, such an action would have changed everything in this region. So where is the treasure now? This is all new to Danny Johnson. He has no idea where the treasure is. And in short, he hoped no one ever finds it, even if it is there. So the next day, Mason Goat and I take to the National D-Day Memorial, a somber 50-acre circular shrine to Operation Overlord. The code name and codes are everywhere around here for the invasion of Normandy on June 6, 1944. Now, Congress agreed that the memorial was appropriate in Bedford when it was, when it was authorized. The tiny town of 3,200 suffered 19 casualties in the attack, proportionally the most of any U.S. community. So while Goad heads back to Arlington, I divert to the Booker T. Washington National Monument, 119... 199-acre site in Hardy on the outskirts of Bedford, where Washington lived for nine years as a child slave. The tiny wood cabin he and his family lived in, which was also the kitchen for the tobacco plantation, is still there, along with a splendid, if solemn, enterprise signs describing the conditions of the educator and author's young life. Now, the drive from Hardy back to Arlington takes me through Montvale. Nothing remains of Buford's Tavern except the ruins of the chimney, which is a very popular landmark, um, and it measures around four miles around. Yes, Danny Johnson's Peak of Otter Winery is inside the four-mile radius that they say it's in. So I punch the GPS, and it tells me to avoid highways. I want to meander for a bit on these scenic mountain roads. And the voice from the dashboard tells me to take a left on Route 741 to the Beale Trail Road. And I have a silent laugh. I'm on Beale Trails, all right. We're about to connect with none other than Goose Creek Valley Road. So after a few miles, I pull over to put the top down and enjoy an afternoon sun before heading to the country roads that'll head to Interstate 81. As the convertible's black fabric top pulls back and the street sign in front of me comes into view, I blink my eyes and I blink it again and I gasp. Odie Farm Road, Odie's place, Goose Creek. With a small pang of regret, I point the car in the direction of I-81 and I give it gas. I might not have found Beale's 200-year-old treasure, but I think I might know where it is. And it isn't going anywhere. You have to believe me. So Bedford 
is Virginia's fifth largest county by population with 79,000 residents. Bedford County has a diverse economy with wide variety of industries. And some of the largest industries are advanced manufacturing, engineering, research, agriculture, and food. Tourism is quite popular there, and it brings a lot of people in. And over the years, the Beale Mystery has drawn attention to the region via international outlets. There's 14 different television crews, including BBC and the Travel Channel and the team from Seoul, Korea. There's a lot of people who have spent the time looking for it. So local efforts have been trying to find it. The area's first craft brewery restaurant opened in town, Beals Brewery, uses the treasure story to make its signature brew, Beals Gold. So there is gold in Bedford, and you can take it home in a six-pack. So can you solve this cipher? Can you break it? Do you know where this treasure might possibly be? And is it real? Or is it just fiction? Um, that was such a fun, <laughs> fun story. And honestly, I just couldn't do it justice when I was trying to look up ways to tell the stories. I was like, I can't do it as good as the story does it. So um, that story is by Buzz McLean. Um, and just a fun thing to go look through and try to figure it out. And sometimes I think when you do look for treasure, you get very, very focused on the pieces, right? Putting the mystery together and you might ignore all the other pieces around it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, this little treasure hunting mystery, and we'll see you next time on the Mystery Kids podcast.